for UK investors only. This podcast is in association with Janice Henderson Investors. For promotional purposes, capital at risk. The past performance of an investment is not a reliable guide to its future performance. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as advice. Hi, and welcome to the Master Investors Podcast. My name is James Faulkner, and I'm the editor of Master Investor Magazine. Today, we're looking at UK stocks, unloved and undervalued. And I'm joined by David Smith of Henderson High Income Trust. Thanks for coming on the show, David. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Obviously, we've got Brexit going off at the moment, so um, the UK is a bit of a pariah market. Is the UK the most hated developed market in the world at the moment, do you think? I mean, if it's not the hated, it's certainly up there. I mean, if you look at certain data points, whether it's flows into, into, into UK equity funds uh, or outflows, should we seen, as we've seen over the last few years, if you look at positioning, if you look at the performance of the UK index, you know, the, the, the UK market has underperformed overseas indices by about 20% over the last three years. And if you look at valuations, you know, the valuation on the UK market does look incredibly cheap versus its own history, but also relative to those other overseas indices. So I, I guess in all those metrics, you know, the UK market is is certainly being shied away from from, from, from investors at the moment. Right. And do we think that Brexit's in the price right now then for the market? I, I suppose it all depends on what outcome we get from Brexit. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to say that if we do go through the hardest scenario, so that the crash out, the no deal Brexit, then I wouldn't expect the UK market to take that well. But certainly... One thing the UK market or certainly equity markets do not like is uncertainty. If we do get some certainty around Brexit, whether it's May's deal, whether it's some other softer form of Brexit, uh, Norway, Canada plus, things of those people are talking about, then I think if we get that certainty that a deal will come through, then actually I think my personal view is actually that will be positive for, for UK markets in general because I think, again, people have been waiting for, for some sort of resolution. Valuations are quite low, but on the flip side of that is the dividend yield, and dividend yields are quite high at the moment. This must be um, good for um, an income fund like yours. But isn't the, the UK market overly, overly reliant on certain sectors such as oil and gas companies and banks for its dividend income? Is that something that concerns you? I think I think that's one of the fair criticisms of the UK market. It is a little bit over concentrated for income, as you said. Banks and oil and gas provide, I think, thirty percent. The largest ten companies within the UK market contribute about fifty percent of the market income. Yeah. So there is a fair criticism to say there is this over concentration of income within the UK. What I say is that just because the market is overly concentrated doesn't mean you can't have a well diversified portfolio in terms of where you're generating your income from. I think one of the benefits of, of our trust is it is relatively small. It's about 270 million of gross assets. It means I can move up and down the market cap scale. So I don't have to just be in the, in the mega caps of really large companies to generate that income. And it means that actually, you know, the oil and gas and banking sector only contribute 15% of my overall income for the trust. So I can be well diversified looking elsewhere in the market for good income opportunities. Names just to come to uh, come to my head, you know, something like uh, Ibstock, a UK manufacturer of bricks, you know, yielding 5.5% at the moment. You know, that's an attractive level where you can get that high dividend yield without going in some of the real mega cap space within the market. That's, that's quite a small company, isn't it? So you've actually dabbling at the smaller end of the market too. Yeah, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, we invest both in the high end, the larger cap uh, companies, but also in the mid and smaller cap where we see those good opportunities, certainly for dividend yield, but also dividend growth as well. You know, certainly in the mid and smaller cap end of the of the market, you do tend to see some good dividend growth opportunities there. 
And how important are dividends in terms of total returns? There's, there's been a lot of studies done on this, hasn't there? And dividends over the long term, the very long term, tend to make up a large component of total return. Yeah, I think I think there's two things to that. It's it's basically dividend yield plus dividend growth are the main contributors to total return in the longer term. You know, stocks and, and, and markets will re-rate and de-rate in the sort of short to medium term, but over the longer term, your biggest contribution to total return is from that dividend yield and that dividend growth. I mean, to give a sort of a specific example, if you look at Imperial Brands, tobacco company, if you looked at the performance of the shares over the last five years, you know, in terms of the rating, so the valuation the market describes to the company, it's gone from 11 times price to earnings, a metric we use for valuation, gone from about 11 times down to nine times as, as we are today. So you would assume that actually that's probably been a bad investment. But actually, if you look at the total return, includes with the dividends and the dividend growth the company's paid, the total return over that time period has been 45%. Now that has outperformed the market performance of around about 30%. So even though you've seen the valuation the market subscribes to a share come down, actually in terms of total returns, so that income you've generated from the, from the company, actually it's been a very good investment over that time period. Looking at individual stocks, some of the stocks that you've been adding to or buying in the portfolio at the moment, a recent one was Coca-Cola Hellenic Bottling Company. Is, is this company got the license to print money? It's got the, um, the license to the Coca-Cola brand in Eastern Europe and Central Europe. What attracted you to that stock? I think that there's, there's two elements to it, really. Firstly, it's a company that you know should prove relatively resilient if we are going into a bit more of a, a difficult economic environment. You know, the propensity for developed markets to consume soft drinks should stay pretty stable, even in a, an environment where you know things are a little bit tougher. I think the other side of the argument is when you look at the emerging market exposure the company has, the amount of soft drinks per person consumed yeah. is quite low relative to where we are. And as you see the rise in uh, wealth of the, the consumer in emerging markets, that should help the growth level uh, of the company come through. It also is a company where you know they are very focused on operational efficiencies. So you should see good margin upside, which should grow your profits at a faster rate than, say, the revenue growth that the company should see. I think one of the other things we do like about the company is it's got a very strong balance sheet. That's typically one thing we always look for in companies, strong, healthy financial positions. And that means that there's optionality. So we believe the company can make acquisitions, so it can buy a cocoa bottling in Africa. I think if that doesn't come through, then actually you could see increased shareholder returns via special dividends. Now, this is my own opinion. You know, it shouldn't be seen as, as any advice, really. Another position you've been adding to lately is Johnson Matty, and that's, that's the company that's most well known for producing catalytic converters. But it's recently shifted its focus to manufacturing batteries. What's the situation there? What attracted you to that one? I, I, I think Johnson Matthew, I mean, it's, it's a leading UK technology company. You know, it's invested a lot of money in terms of developing new technologies in catalytic converters, but also in battery technology as well. Now, the future of diesel cars is, is quite unknown. One of their main divisions is making catalytic converters for diesel cars. But the company hasn't stood still. And one thing we liked about it is that investment they've made in that new technology that new battery technology, because as electric vehicles, as hybrids take more market share in terms of the overall car population across the globe, then clearly you need to have exposure there for that virgin growth that is going to come through. And the company has done that. Now, the key to the company will be how do you manage the business through that transition from the diesel share falling and that uh, electric vehicle growing. 
But I think, you know, the company has proved in the past that they're very good at adapting to that new technology. And certainly when you look at the valuation, given some of those fears over, over, over the future of diesel, actually the valuation has come down to a multi-year low. So we kind of think that actually from here, you know, the growth they will see going forward is not being discounted in the current share price or people don't think that given where the share price is, people are assuming that they can't deliver on that growth mm -hmm. going forward and we believe they can. And that's also a company with a very strong dividend track record, isn't it? I think it hasn't cut its dividend since 1992. Correct, yeah. So, you know, it's one of these companies where the dividend yield is slightly lower. So at the moment, it's a dividend yield of 3%, but it's delivering good, strong dividend growth. And it's what, you know, sometimes, you know, in that portfolio of ours, you know, yes, we look for income, but we're happy to own some of the lower yielding names as long as they've got a good dividend growth track record that can continue into the, into the future. And looking at companies that you've sold recently, one of them is Greencore, and that's the uh, pre-packed sandwich manufacturer. Yeah. What was the thinking behind that decision? I think if you, I mean, Greencore, it's a good business at what it does in terms of making sandwiches for the UK market. You know, you've seen good growth from uh, food to go as premium sandwiches, as taking more share, etc. I think where we go from here is Greencore has already got 60% of the sandwich market in the UK. I think consumer tastes are slightly changing. Certainly, if you go up to our canteen, there's a longer queue for the sandwich bar, sorry, for the salad bar than there is a sandwich bar. So I think having, you know, that large exposure to sandwiches when I think consumer tastes are slightly changing. At the same time, when you look at the supermarkets, you know, their end core customer and the, the, the main resellers of their products, you know, they're stopping their expansion plans as they're coming to grips with, you know, some of the competitions from the likes of Audi and Lidl. So I kind of feel that that growth that you've seen, that good growth from the company you've seen in the past, it's probably going to slow down going forward. And I think we just we just took the decision, actually, from here, the outlook looks a little bit tougher going forward. So we exited the position. And I think it also sold its US business last year, which was a bit of a surprise um, because that was billed as quite a, a growth opportunity yeah. for the company. It, it, it was. On the flip side, the company's now debt-free from that, I think. It is, yeah. And don't, don't get me wrong, you know, the, the business is still financially sound, etc. I just thought there was better opportunities elsewhere. You know, one of the things when we first brought into the company was that opportunity within the US market. So taking away that opportunity was a bit of a, you know, did surprise us and just takes a little bit of that original investment case while, while we invested in the company before. And when you look for the outlook just for the UK, becoming a little bit tougher than actually not having the US, you know, just, just, just slightly disappointed us. And the next one, Inmarsat, and that's the company that provides remote internet services for, for ships and planes. Yeah. Share price performance not being great, what was that due to? I think the problem with the company, the company like Inmarsat and the other satellite providers is it has to spend a lot of money to maintain their, uh, their network. And in the past, you know, we, we saw this, the company were happy to pay an uncovered dividend, so not covered by cash flows, because they were going through this large investment phase while they built up their network. Now, at, at a certain point, we thought that actually that investment would come to an end, the cash flows would build, and that dividend would be covered. The problem is that level of investment, and they are spending a lot of money per annum on investment, would come off eventually. That hasn't happened. The company has had to continue spending. The company have had to make the difficult decision of cutting the dividend last year. It's now at a level where we still think it's not properly covered by cash flows. The investment is still having to be made into new growth initiatives, such as the you know, Wi-Fi on planes. 
and we just don't see that ending anytime soon. So given where the balance sheet is, it's not as financially strong as it used to be. So we just thought, again, you know, where we are today, I think it's time to sort of move on from it, despite it being a, a disappointing holding for us. Yeah. But at some point, you've got to take a step back, be unemotional about these things and say, from here, actually, I think there's better opportunities elsewhere in the market. And certainly when you've seen some of the domestic companies that we own that have derated on the back of Brexit, some of those names are you know, looking a lot more better opportunities, better value from here. So we made that decision to move out and, and invest elsewhere. Okay. And something else you've been doing lately, which strikes me as quite strange given that US rates are rising now. Um, you've been added to adding to the, uh, the fixed income element in the trust. Yes. What's, what's your thinking behind that? So I think maybe take a step back and just you know describe why we own why we do have that bond exposure within the trust, and it's always been there to uh, to to help boost the overall income of the trust, and also sort of dampen down the overall volatility or or dampen down the overall performance of the NAV uh, over the longer term. And um, what do you mean by volatility, by the way? So where where the NAV and the share price will move quite you know can move up and down in terms of equities. If you own more bonds, so that movement should be theoretically should be less so than 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 the way stock prices move. So actually, owning more in terms of bonds should mean that the overall share price of the trust should move up and down less than say if it was 100% into in in just stocks and shares. I think where we where we've come from, we've been very low in terms of bonds. You know, the yields on bonds, given the low interest rate environment we've been into, has been very low. So that opportunity to invest in bonds hasn't been there. I think one of the advantages of the trust is we can go overseas and we have utilised that by investing in US bonds because actually given the Fed have been raising their interest rates, the bond yields on offer within good quality corporates in the US have become much more attractive at the moment. So we can now own bonds in the likes of, or have been buying bonds, you know, in the likes of Amazon, the likes of McDonald's, the likes of Lockheed Martin, the, um, the, the the defense contractor. You know, these are big US stable businesses. Mm-hmm. They're offering yields on their bonds in the 4% plus range. And these are really high quality um, corporate the, bonds. The, these, these, are, these are investment grade corporate credit where we feel that the, the, the coupons are sustainable into the longer term. Hence, we're happy to, to invest in those from the equity position, just increasing that bond exposure uh, given those yields are above 4% at the moment. Moving back to uh, to equities again, you invested in income stocks primarily. How do you avoid buying into dividend traps? Yeah, I think I think this comes down to analysing the uh, the cash flows of the business and the and the balance sheets. You know, one thing we look for down the cash flow statement is to make sure the company is generating enough organic cash flow to really first and foremost invest in their business. One of the misconceptions about income fund managers we want all the cash as income. Well, we don't. First of all, we want to make sure our companies we own invest properly in their business so they can grow into the future. So that's the first uh, first use of cash. The second use of cash is then to pay the dividend. And we've got to make sure that cash flow there is able to pay the dividend, the current dividend, but also be able to sustain it into the longer term and hopefully grow at the same time. So we have to take a view on how that cash flow will move going forward and whether even in tougher times that cash will still be able to pay that dividend when times you know do get tougher you know uh, as invariably they will at some point. So making sure the companies don't take their, their eye off the ball in terms of reinvesting cash into the business. Exactly. Paying uh, dividends to shareholders. Exactly and I think that's that's the way the business should really be run in terms of capital allocation is making sure cash goes into the business first and then looking at how much they can 
sustain sustainably return to shareholders via dividends. And then also you need to be cl clear about the balance sheet strength as well. You know, a company may have the, you know, currently may have good cash flows, but when times are tough and cash flow comes a bit tighter, if the company has also got a weak balance sheet or weak financial position at the moment, then actually the debt holders will get looked after before us equity holders. And then under that scenario, then the dividends may be cut. And that's that's way you look at it. That's way how you analyze a company to make sure those dividends are sustainable. And that's how you avoid those sort of dividend traps within the UK market. Given the point that we're at in the cycle now, is value due a comeback? Because recently all the you know all the emphasis has been on growth stocks and those are the stocks that have been performing really well. But a lot of people are talking about a, a shift back into value. Do you think that's that's something that you, you buy into? I think I mean my own opinion is I I do think we're slightly late in the cycle. I think the debate is how late we are and when we'll and trying to time the end of the cycle. It's always hard to sort of define what is growth, what is value. I think certainly for me, when I look at companies, generally I try and own good quality companies. So businesses that you know have good market positions, that have strong finances, strong uh, balance sheets, etc. as we talked about, uh, and ones that generally have resilient earnings. And I think those are the companies that you, know, you need to own in a scenario where we are late cycle. But I think going back to it, I think you've always got to be have a keen view on valuation and making sure that those the share prices you buy these companies at are still good value in the market. I think, consequently, actually, when you look at some of the other areas of the market, where what would you call traditional income sectors, tobacco, telecoms, yeah. etc. You know, some of those sectors have been poor performers recently. You know, because there has been you know structural fears, there has been you know cyclical headwinds in some of these some of these businesses, etc. Some of them are looking very cheap at the moment. But again, sort of going back to you know the, the, the question beforehand, it's making sure they're not value traps or, or dividend traps, yeah. as you're seeing, making sure those high dividend levels can be sustained into the longer term. Because surely one of the risks with investing in these kind of these kinds of companies is that a lot of them are structurally kind of at risk from you know from new technology and things yeah. like that. Uh, and that's and that's you know one of the key things we've seen across the market in recent years is disruptive technology. Yeah. You know one of the fears over the tobacco names is the impact of of vaping, uh, the likes of Juul, which makes uh, obviously a, a new vaping product, which has been very successful in the US so far. And what does that mean for your core businesses? Essentially, you know, tobacco smokers is declining. At the same time, you've now got a threat of of moving those tobacco smokers not just off tobacco, but onto new vaping products, etc. And that's that's the you know the key debate. On the flip side, that's kind of why the valuations are, are where yeah. they are today. And again, it sort of comes back to us analysing the companies, trying to work out how the profits can evolve from here under that sort of pressure, and whether those dividends, although looking very attractive, can they be sustained and can they grow into the future? And if they can, then I think the, the, the share prices are probably too low, but we will find out in, in, in the next few years. You know, there are also sort of regulatory litigation risks around those sort of tobacco companies. But again, I think where the valuations are today, actually that could present a good good opportunity from here. Uh, David Smith of Henson High Income Trust, thanks very much. Yeah, pleasure, thank you. Don't forget, you can access more great content, including Master Investor Magazine at masterinvestor.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us by hitting the subscribe button and by leaving a review. If you've got any suggestions about who you'd like us to interview or topics you'd like us to cover, 
please send us an email at info at masterinvestor.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Before investing in any investment referred to in this podcast, you should satisfy yourself as to its suitability and the risks involved. Nothing in this podcast is a recommendation or solicitation to buy, hold or sell any investment. Tax assumptions and reliefs depend upon an investor's particular circumstances and may change if those circumstances or the law change. Issued in the UK by Janice Henderson Investors. Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by Henderson Investment Funds Limited. Registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London, EC2M 3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Janice Henderson, Janice, Henderson and Knowledge Shared are trademarks of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC.